listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. So I'm walking my daughter in the stroller today. I've got the dog and the kid. I'm trying to pay very close attention to everything that was happening because <clears throat> I don't want to, you know, absent-mindedly let the dog go off a little bit too far or something like that and then, you know, with traffic and so forth. <clears throat> so I'm trying to be very mindful as I'm doing this. And one of the things that some of you may know about Labradors is that their energy level is, is high for years. Um, Sumi is now, uh, she is coming up on four, four, three and a half years old. And she is still very much a puppy. And so she knew that the leash was going to be held somewhat, somewhat tight. I was not giving her much play. And so what she started to do was grab the leash with her mouth and kind of shake it around like this, at which point my daughter evidently thought this was the funniest thing ever. And she started to laugh. And at first it was a ha, 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 ha type of thing. And then it became... Um, really deep. It came from a very, very deep well of being. <clears throat> and the laughter expanded and expanded and expanded <laughs> and it started to get shrill and her, her body finally slumped over. <laughs> she was laughing so hard. And the dog, it was if she knew that screwing around with the leash was causing her to do this because she'd look at her and then she'd do it some more and Cade would crack up and, and it just became one of these beautiful moments that I, I just felt so blessed to have been able to bear witness to this. And it reminded me so much of where this path should lead us. That awakening really is awakening to our true nature, to what is true. And what is true is totally surrendered. That's what laughter is. Laughter is the acceptance of a surprise. It's the receiving of the universe's gift. And in that moment, Cade was getting all sorts of God consciousness just from our dogs screwing around with her leash. <laughs> Everything is a teacher. Everything is a teacher. Even when it doesn't feel good, even when it doesn't make us laugh, having that open, surrendered space around whatever is, as I say probably 10 times each time we meet, uh, is the work. And that realization reminds us of what is true. What is true beyond concept, 
beyond word, beyond emotion, beyond feeling. <laughs> it's what's always there. What's always there. And if we can ready ourselves through this practice of meditation to get hit by that truck, you know, when awakening can be uh, uh, the acceptance, the total acceptance of getting the rug pulled right out from under you, of, uh, of doing that, that, you know, if any, any of you have ever jumped out of an airplane with a, hopefully, with a parachute on your back, um, or if you haven't, if you, you didn't have a parachute on your back and you survived, you should be sitting up here probably. Uh, the, uh, the experience of that, that moment of sitting at the edge and knowing, here we go, and then leaning forward and being open to all that is. That's the work. And we have all sorts of stuff that gets in the way of that. So being able to navigate through that stuff so that we can be taught, if you will, by a dog's play with a leash, <laughs> by a small child's surrender to complete and utter joy. We can do that too. We can be in that space. In fact, here's the curveball. You're never not in that space. There's stuff that keeps it from being realized. But not one of us is ever apart from that joy. I'm reminded of challenges to practice. Every once in a while, my favorite one was a, uh, and I, I think I wrote about this in the book, but was a cat in heat underneath the zendo. There's nothing like that. Trying to, trying to find some semblance of peace when you have this cat that is just possessed by desire. <laughs> just possessed, just suffering. Suffering. I once listened to um, an old friend who is <clears throat> engaged in a practice. Um, you know, she, she has, she's now vegetarian. She gives a large percentage of her, her money to charity. Um, she meditates every day. Um, she is uh, becoming increasingly green in her approach towards living. I mean, all really cool things uh, in our discussion she was pointing out how it's uh, that this this is, this is her path, which I think is marvelous. Of course, it's it's that's that's her path. That's that's great. But I then pushed her a little bit with the question: Where is it taking you? Where is it taking you? You want to go? It sounds like from somewhere to somewhere. And he 
you know, there were all these great intellectual diatribes that kind of went on about, well, no, really what I want, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to purify, you know, and kind of kept going on and on and on and on and on. And fortunately, she was quite patient with me because I kept hammering. I kept just saying, but, but what is it that you, you want to go from something to something else? And it was about 20 or so minutes of this kind of, kind of relentless, you know, uh, give and take where she, she said, um, I want to be without any fear. Without fear. It's like, all right, now we're talking. Now we can take off. Now we can go somewhere. Being without fear is another way of saying going beyond the self. We are possessed typically by fear. Fear is at the root of so many different things for human beings. Um, I sometimes have described fear as being... Um, the tear that can exist when you are in this present state of being right now and the mind creates some future fantasy that may or may not happen. Nonetheless, it creates it. And the fact that there's all this energy of mind going into the future, yet you are, and what's true, is right here and right now, that split right there generates anxiety, which leads to fear. Fear is usually something very specific. Anxiety is low-level dread, let's say, and then fear might be something quite specific. Yet that's exactly where most human beings orient their lives. They orient their lives around fear. They orient their lives around some future thing that has not happened yet, but we create it continually with our thoughts. And so what does this create? When we are governed by fear, we then build lives around desire. And if any of you have ever let yourselves really feel desire, it rattles you. If you really allow for desire to just be there, we want to do anything possible to get out of it, to get out of that tension. Okay? We will either act on the desire or run away from it as best we can. Either way, we're going to do something not to feel the heat of that fear that we won't get a certain outcome that we want. So, practicing with fear, practicing with desire, practicing with whatever is in front of you means essentially that we just allow it. I described this to um, uh, a student once as saying, go ahead, kiss it. Let your awareness kiss your fear. It's not going to do anything to you. Fear can't do anything to you if you're present for it. If, on the other hand, you are consumed by it, if you aren't aware of the fear, but you are just afraid, then all sorts of damage can occur. 
all sorts of missteps can be taken. Being aware of our fear is freedom from our fear. Being aware of our desire is freedom from our desire, whatever it might be. Now, that sounds simple enough. That sounds basic enough. But it's so profound. And this goes back to that question. What are you trying to get away from? What are you trying to move toward? Freedom, fearlessness, if that's what it is. And consider this, you cannot move towards fearlessness. You cannot move towards freedom. Freedom is always there. It's at the core of who you are. It's the, it's the very essence of who you are beyond name and form. So you can't get there from here. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It gets here from there. You can't, I can't, any ego that you might strike a fancy with cannot get there. It shows up here. It meets itself through an opening that is allowed for in this space we call Jeannie, Tony, Gina, Aaron, Paul, any, whatever. The minute there is an opening to it, okay, the minute there is a, you know what, that's what I want. I want freedom. I want fearlessness. I want enlightenment. I want to jump out of that airplane. I want to step off that cliff. That's, I want to know beyond knowledge, beyond mind, beyond body. I want to know that with a capital K. The universe starts working to allow that to happen. And I kind of tease uh, a fair amount about that. I always say, so you're ready? But it's really quite true. Are you ready for that? Are you ready not to be consumed by fear? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine what your life would be like without fear. And that's what's being offered by the teaching. That's exactly where the teaching points us all the time. It's quite exciting. It puts us right into that space of the, the laughter of the innocent. It allows for the antics of the Labrador to open us to what's true. <laughs> and what's true is this surrendered, open space of being. That space allows us to watch the thinker, watch the resistor, watch the jerk, watch the saboteur, 
Watch the bitch. Watch the brute. When we can watch all of those aspects, all of those facets of these things that we think we've created as being a self, when we can start to create a little bit of distance from that, suddenly the allure of its shine isn't quite as alluring. We start seeing past it. We start seeing the source of what we always thought that shine was, which is the infinite radiant light of who we've always been before our parents were born. <coughs> we can't get our heads around it. You know? We can't get our heads around it. We can't get our bodies around it. It's like, even, we, we have felt senses of it. We might have experiences of unity consciousness, of God consciousness, of Christ consciousness, or whatever you want to call it. You might have those experiences. I recommend them. They're nice. <laughs> um, but all they do is point. All they do is point us in the right direction. You won't be sitting here one, one Monday night and suddenly have, you know, the top blow off your noggin and then the bottom fall out from under you and you go, oh, you know, <laughs> I am awake. Well, you know, of course you might have that experience, but, <laughs> but as I've said before, well, actually, let's hope for that, shall we? <laughs> just for Christmas. For Christmas, what do you say? We all just, you know, blast off. Yeah. Um, if that happens, and I'm hopeful it does at some point, actually it will, I promise you, there will be some, you know, moment, um, uh, whether it's in here or it's, uh, you know, sneezing while you have a, a mouthful of milk or something like that. I mean, one of those moments where it's just, you know, you just open up totally. Those just point, have you ever done that? Have you ever sneezed with a mouthful of milk? Never. Oh, oh my, talk about an awakening experience. It just comes out of like your, your eyes and everything else. It's really, it's like, oh my God, everything's connected. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> where the hell did that come from? That's, uh, the point is <laughs> that those moments of depth that arise, that show up, are quite simply just more to get rid of in the form of surrender, you know? Getting rid of might be a, a really horrible way to say it. It's not like you want to push it away. It's just a pointer. It's the universe giving you a finger right in the ribs and saying, right here, I'm right here. You are right here. And over time, when we begin to integrate what those experiences mean, uh, I guess you could say enlightenment ensues. A disidentification with mind. A disidentification with ego. And if we have disidentified with ego and mind, we have then suddenly disidentified from this thing we call a body. And if we've disidentified from a body and disidentified from the mind, there's this rattling loose or shaking loose of our addiction to fear. And then that's freedom. So everything kind of works together to help, help this out. But that's really quite simply our birthright. 
Our birthright is that freedom. It's what we came into this world as. It's how we will leave this world. The trick is to be able to take that fundamental truth and weave it into our experience as our experience consciously with total relaxation. I don't know why I'm feeling so giggly. <laughs> that was an intense talk, that's why. <laughs> Maybe. Every once in a while, like, I'll stop a talk and everybody's like... <laughs> Any questions? And everybody's like... Ah, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> Sir Dave, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, exactly. I'm repeating myself. Good. Yes. Have I contradicted myself yet tonight? That's when it gets really fun. That's a question. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well. So, sometimes you say that um, enlightenment comes without warning and suddenly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you say it together. How does it fit together? Well, I would say, first of all, um, in my experience on the cushion, I've noticed that most people come at this practice wanting to get something, which is very natural. And they realize the deeper they get into the work, that it's not about getting anything, it's about leaving stuff. And so where's the fuel for the leaving of that stuff? It comes simultaneously from an interior intention met with the natural evolutionary flow of the universe. And when that natural evolutionary flow of the universe meets up with an intention to awaken to truth, to face truth as truth, everything opens up. Stuff just, it's just how this seems to work. Um, so back to your question, how does this all fit together in some facsimile like that? <laughs> the universe itself sees itself through your conscious opening to it. Now, I've probably said that 15 different ways, hoping that some of that spaghetti will stick on the wall. Um, the awakening experience, the experience of getting goosed by the universe is not <coughs> awakening. It's not enlightenment. Enlightenment is when we are able to integrate the truth that was shown into what we show the world. Coming back down the mountain, yeah. And bizarrely, we recognize that coming back down the mountain, as we are coming back down the mountain, there's, it's, there's some point when we realize there wasn't any mountain. There wasn't a mountain to begin with. We realize that we had it here all along. 
that there, the journey was necessary. So, but at the same time, the path that we walked on itself was illusory. It was always right here under our nose. You can't find them. They will be woven without you doing anything. Now, I'm using the italics on purpose there because it's not anything that you can do. It's what's prior to the you that does. It's what's prior to the doing. So, essentially... I mean, if you think about it, meditation is such a great metaphor for this because what are we doing when we're meditating? We're sitting perfectly still, ideally. Our mind might be flying all around, you know, going every which way, but we kind of go, oh, there's our mind flying all around, and that awareness of mind flying all around is very still. And so slowly but surely, the mind kind of quiets down, and we start recognizing this deep singularity of just being. Okay, And in those moments of just being, we are essentially practicing the realization of that integrated, interwoven uh, infinity into what is. We see that it's always been there, that that cloth has always been fully formed. Words kind of get in the way here, Dave, but it's more or less... We, we start recognizing what always has been. We start seeing that in no way, shape, or form is anything wrong. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> there's, there's no drama. What does drama need? Something wrong. It needs that conflict, right? It's not a play unless there's conflict. It's like, have you ever thought about like reality television like Survivor or something like that on TV when everybody really got along and cooperated totally and the personalities had been left aside. Everybody took those masks off and they were just being with each other. That would be the most boring television you could imagine. Right? Egos hate boredom. They don't like stillness. So what they'll do is they'll create drama. They'll create something wrong. Therefore they've got to fight. Right. Right. Or am I waiting for the for the real me to be weaving this together, and then I won't. Right. Right. Um, What what the meditation does usually, if small things come up in meditation, we're we're in essence practicing our openness to small things, and then in our day to day. If we can recognize other small things that we can be open to, our life becomes a meditation. And then when the big things hit, okay, there might be a little less of us that is knocked by it. Okay? So we practice small and eventually get to the big. Now this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important to do extended meditation, where we actually sit for a five or a seven day retreat. Because what it does is it forces big issues at day three. And then you get to work through them by the time you hit day seven. Every time. Almost 
almost every time in extended meditation, body decides to contract around a particular you know, sore set of muscles or bad knees or something like that. And then what happens is the relationship to that gr grip changes and it softens. It's not that the pain is no longer there, it's that our relationship to it changes. So the overwhelm that you might feel in the day to day, the addiction that you might feel, what happens is with deeper and deeper and deeper practice, we get to a place where we can, instead of getting ripped away by the addiction, we can actually watch how the addiction tears at something that isn't even there. We then begin to have choice. Addiction is something that is without choice when we have no choice. And the more stillness we're able to incorporate into our being, the more choice there is. And the more choice there is, the less we are addicted to anything, whether it's our pain, whether it's our, our, our perceived psychosis, whether it's our, you know, joy. We're addicted to joy. And if there's no joy, oh my God, I'm jonesing for more joy, uh, you know. Suddenly, non-joy is just fine. That's freedom. Yeah. Um, fear and desire. In your talk, you linked it, I think. Yeah. And I don't quite get the link, so could you talk a little bit? Sure. Sure. Um, I would say uh, desire. <coughs> And by the way, when I speak of desire, I think there are two kinds of desire. There's open desire and there's closed desire. Closed desire is a desire that, for an outcome that must happen. Okay? Open desire is total acceptance of the desire without any attachment to an outcome. Okay? Desire is like a contraction. Okay? And then the fruition of that desire, the end of the desire, is a release. Okay? So what happens then is desire usually comes from, from um, desire comes from or can be fueled very easily by a fear of discomfort in some capacity, a fear of loss of something. So we desire, okay? So in other words, whenever we fear loss, whether it's of uh, personal or bod bodily comfort, we fear the loss of our minds, the loss of our reputation, the loss of love. Whenever we feel the, the loss of something, we then generate out of that fear a desire to protect or insulate those things we consider to be precious, right? That actually are not ours. We have no control over any of those things, yet we do our damnedest to make sure we can protect their stability. We can, we can in increase their, the chances of stability and permanence. Fear so, of boredom. Yeah, yeah. You don't talk about that too much. You're right. You're right. The fear of boredom. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really I think interesting, I stir Jude. Up desire uh -huh. out of fear of boredom. I mean, that's just as much as a fear of falling. 
Yeah. Well, let me, let me push back on that just a little bit. This might be really interesting for you and others to practice with. If there's a fear of boredom, what, that's a really good sign on the spiritual path because what that really means is there is a fear of the radical emptiness that you are, which is exactly what prevents awakening. <laughs> so you're really close, young lady. <laughs> You know, I mean, fear of the, the rather than being afraid of the boredom, uh, the teaching points us right in, right into the boredom and says, "Kiss it." The boredom is your friend. The boredom is a teacher. Okay, boredom is just mind feeling like it's got to do something. It wants to move, but it can't. And so it creates anxiety, fear, or it relates it back to some past boredom, and then it's, it, it suffers because it's generated, it's self-generated pain. Yeah? So be right with your boredom. When, the minute it shows up, oh, God, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Would you like some tea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I'm bored with the green tea. Yeah. Exactly. <coughs> Howard, yes. I just, want to add, I just wondered, you got me thinking about it, and I wondered if boredom isn't still a desire. The I, the meanness, still wants a desire for stimulation, or right. still wants a desire for something more interesting. Totally. Boredom has the seeds to desire sown in it automatically. Yes, it's just like the conjoined. It's a, one of those conjoined twins of experience that I talk about. It's like the conjoined twin of love is loss, because we know that that love that we experience for another is only temporary. So play for keeps. You know. Uh, the, the neat thing also is that the, the teaching points us directly into this space of boredom cannot hurt you. Fear won't kill you. None of these feelings, none of these sense experiences will kill you. They can't touch what's true in you. They can't. They can't. But they can create a lot of havoc for the, the eye sense, the ego. Right? <coughs> Be good to yourselves. Thanks for coming tonight. <laughs> <laughs>